0: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: It's time to take command with
0: former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman.
2: Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And with us, all episode long. Well, he is always all episode long, but on camera, on <laughs> mic, all episode long, our producer, Nick Berlansky, because it is a Mailbag Monday. Uh, we are going heavy on the mailbag questions. Uh, we will do our OTA recap later this week. But, Nick you fetched a couple of questions out of my Twitter mentions, and uh, let's dive right in, shall we?
3: Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to eat my Cheetos like I normally do while watching you guys do the show, but uh, <laughs> no. I guess this sorry. is also a good alternative. It's nice to actually come out and talk to you guys, but let's start with- i uh, so
2: sorry uh, to ruin your dietary plans.
3: I know, honestly. I got to stay on a schedule here. Come on, guys. Uh, <laughs> but as Mike asked on Twitter, many reports about how from Minicamp is that he had some good- and some bad, but does the overall QB room look better than it has
2: in years? I think yes. Um, I'll just go to my let's see. Look, in between the two of us, we have it going all the way back to 20, whatever year you were drafted, 2010, 2011. Yeah, 2010. Yeah. Um, so, like, because when I got here, uh, that's when you left. Sorry about that. That was totally my <laughs> fault. Uh, going back to when Cousins. And Colt were here. I would say that's probably the best it's been in my era. And a lot of that obviously had to do with Kirk because he's the best quarterback that's been here during this era. Um, And I think Sam could be as good as Kirk. We'll see. Um, Obviously, Kirk's had a very long, successful career. Um, He's never been a top five quarterback, uh, but he's been kind of between 10 and 15 probably. And then it spurts even higher than that uh, for the majority of the last eight years. Um, and I think Colt was seen as a very, very solid backup. So I would say Jacoby's definitely stronger than Colt was as a backup. And then it comes down to what's the difference between Hal and Kirk, and we're obviously not going to go till the, the middle of the season.
4: Yeah. I think the other one would be like Alex Smith before he got hurt, you know, cause I think also Colt was the backup then as well, if I'm yep. not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's another interesting room. And obviously the injury there taints it. I think the thing with Sam, you know, and I've been very bullish on Sam through the OTA process, even the bad days, you know, I've kind of been able to explain away some of that. And I I think rightfully so. I think he's, he's had a good OTA period. Um, I think the thing with Sam that makes me kind of back off of like comparing him directly to Kirk or Alex, or even Robert when Robert was rolling in 2012 is that he hasn't really done anything yet, you know? And I think that's an unfair comparison. So like, as much as like, we're optimistic about it, like. I don't think you can compare this quarterback room to those quarterback rooms uh, because there's been there's no like body of work to support it yet. And I, I, you know, I think we're we're excited about the upside. Sam's obviously very, very talented. The, The release, the mobility, kind of this, you know, like modern model of what it is to be a quarterback in the NFL, live arm, big arm, mobility, escapability, kind of off schedule ability. Um, but he hasn't done it for a long period of time. Like I went back recently, last week actually, and watched, you know, the the Dallas game again from, you know, his last start. And just the, he wasn't asked to do that much. And I, you, you know, you saw the flash, you saw the ability, but it's just not there yet. So in terms of saying, you know, how does this compare to, to the best quarterback rooms of the last 15 or 17 years, I'm like, let's just pump the brakes a little bit on that because he has to show me. Obviously, I'm really high on Jacoby Brissett. Last year in Cleveland was excellent. Um, You know, I think there's a reason that he's kind of like the best backup in the NFL and never the starter, you know. Um, And I think that has to be considered, but I'm very high on him. I just think it's I need more information to kind of say, hey, this stacks up with those other rooms that you mentioned, because those guys like Kirk, um, what was that you were here in 2015? Like he had played. A little bit. He had a, he was yeah. looking for that next contract. He had stuff under his belt, and to me, that's really valuable as a former player, as an evaluator. Like, I need to see you do it for an extended period of time before I give you kind of any anointed ability there.
2: I know that felt like pushback on what I was saying, um, but it's not. Mine was more of a reflection of how bad the rooms. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just like yeah, it's healthy. Jacoby Brissett himself is better than most of the rooms yeah. that they've had, which is crazy. Um, yeah, but... Alex Alex twenty eighteen is an interesting one because. They won six of eight before that Houston game where he gets hurt, but he wasn't good. Um, he, I, I, was he was averaging like, like hundred like... high hundreds yards per game, like not even two hundred yards per game. But they just kept winning. But like that's Alex Smith. He he yeah. always just knew how to manage the game, and that and that's something that separates him from Jacoby. Like statistically, yeah. Jacoby might be better, but. Alex just knew what was needed and made the key plays at the right time and was never afraid to audible into a run play. And you know, that kept his right. stats down. Like there's just, there's just little quarterbacking professional stuff that Alex did that you just went like, wow, I get it. I get how this dude, everyone always wants to replace him, but he, he just wins. And obviously the injury then changes all of that. Um, but I think even just set and what he is and what he's done is better than anything they've had for Rivera, probably like Fitzpat yeah. the Fitz what Fitzpatrick, what we thought he could be was like kind of on this level. Right. Um, because he was coming off a heck of a year in Miami, and then he gets hurt, you know, what is it, 15 plays into the season? Yeah. Uh, and that's the end of his career. Um, you know, obviously Taylor's played well, but it, we I think both agree that Brissett's better than Heineke. Yep. Um so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just there haven't had very good rooms. Um, they've been trying to solve the quarterback position in Washington since Joe Theismann broke his leg. Like, not to be glib about it, but like, that's what we're talking about here. Um, you know, they've obviously had very good players for single seasons along the the lines. And and over time, they won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. But like, that is both amazing and also emblematic of what quarterback has been here, even when they have been good, they haven't had a definitive answer. And I think that is some, why they so desperately want someone like how it'll work out because then you have a couple of years here, which, you know, again, cousins is the only guy that's done this mm-hmm. where you have like three years in a row of the same starter. It just, it hasn't happened. Um, you know, Jason Campbell had a couple of years, Brunel had a couple of years, but there's never been, especially a younger guy, you're like, yep, this is the guy. Campbell was probably the closest um, of the last like 20 years. Um, And then it was Kirk and, you know, that never felt solid because of the contract stuff. So um, yeah, if they can get Howell to be good, that would be amazing. But even with Brissette, you're still looking at one of the, probably the best room that Rivera's had uh, just by his presence alone.
4: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, Brissette is awesome. I totally agree. And, um, you know, it it really, like you said, it's, there's a lot of excitement and I think there's like right flu around Sam, Sam Howell and what he can be, but um, you know, I, I, need to see it. I'm excited what he can be in this Eric B enemy offense. Um, but yeah, I, I do think with Ron and just having Brissett here, he's probably, yeah, the most talented quarterback that they've had, which is mind blowing because, he, but you know, top 15 quarterback last year. And I think that's, right. uh, that's exciting. So, and,
2: you know, in, in fairness to anyone who's screaming at their whatever screen they're watching this on right now, or, or, their phone listening to it, like that assumes Brissett is exactly what he was last year, right. which is one of his best years. So like if Brissett is backup Brissett, who's actually not a top 15 quarterback in the league, um, then this looks very silly in six months. So hopefully we don't find out because Sam's playing and playing great, right. but like that's at least worth mentioning in the, uh, in the name of objectivity and
4: fairness, yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, if you if you disagree, definitely leave a comment and like why you disagree. Because I to me, like when I just step back and look at it, I think the depth is a little bit of a question because Sam hasn't done a whole bunch. But in terms of play, it's hard to argue with. You know, it's hard to argue with a guy who's led starting campaigns and like you know again, he's he's the best backup in the league for a reason. But I do think that that's something that um, it's it's an important variable, especially over the last four years since I've been covering the team. Like. Uh, it's hard for me to say one of those guys that played was better than him. So, yeah. yeah, but in terms of, you know, going back to Kirk, I think Kirk is better, obviously, but like it's, this is a unique situation in terms of upside. We just need to see it actualized.
2: For sure. All right, Nick, next one.
3: Another question on Twitter from Fulio Iglesias says, the way the secondary is shaping up, do you see a scenario where Cam Curl doesn't get paid in Washington? Ooh. That's interesting
2: yeah. because they have so much talent back there. They draft Quan Martin, which kind of is Cam Curl insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, plays in the post, plays Buffalo. But I, I do think that, like, if Cam performs, Ron, and Ron is in charge, right? Because th- this is the other variable, too, is like, okay, well, what happens if they're not a good football team? Everybody gets blown out, new ownership. Do they just be like, all right, thanks, buddy. Go have fun, sign, sign somewhere for lots of money. Um, and, and you know whatever new defensive coordinator comes in, doesn't have the value on cam Carl that this defense does. I guess I could say like, yes, I see a scenario, but I do think that especially if they're good enough that Ron stays around, um, they've proven they will pay their own if they perform. And I, I, fully expect cam crawl to perform so scenario yes likelihood not high i guess is how i'd answer that logan
4: yeah i'd agree i I think it's definitely possible they don't pay him and has he has he come out and said that he's unhappy or working for an extension is that why he didn't do like he didn't participate in the team stuff of otas or is that just
2: i he has not said it um he kind of refuses to say it right but i think it's largely understood that that is kind of where he's at sure so, like he, I think he understands that he can't get one right now. And it's one of those where it's like, Hey man, I'm not going to go out there and get hurt or do something silly. I'm just, I'll be around. I'll I'll make sure that I'm ready for the season, but like, I'll, I'll see y'all in training camp.
4: Yeah. And I guess the the thing I would say is that I don't, until we know like what he's asking for, which I'm assuming is top safety money. I, w- I would assume I, mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm a GM, I would, and I'm trying to rebut that claim. I would say, Cam, like you have not performed by any kind of major metric like a top five safety like we all know because we watch this team every single week that he's a good football player that he's a good communicator that he can play multiple different positions and his value here is extremely high in terms of the league i don't know what his value is and it would seem to me that he'd be one of those guys that would be classically undervalued like going somewhere else like bates just signed that big deal um in atlanta and i think that would probably Mm -hmm. be the benchmark and i'd don't remember exactly what the numbers were was 44 or something like that but basically what i'm saying is i i don't think the league looks at him and says oh here is like a um you know a reed or a dawkins or any of these like really dominant safeties that we've seen and obviously he kind of is a reflection of how the position has changed he's you know a really good tackler not a big hitter got a lot of position flexibility linebacker nickel uh buffalo nickel excuse me and and post safety which is great but i kind of say to myself like you know has he had the production has he had like those gaudy stats that get those guys those big contracts and i don't i don't know that he has and again if i'm the gm here because i've having seen him i want him on my football team and i'm gonna do a lot to make that happen but i'm not sure he deserves to be you know top five highest paid safety in the nfl
2: so obviously pff is what it is but he was a second rated uh in terms of PFF grade last year. in terms of grade yeah and
4: i agree with that and I like when you look at his play it's very very high but i don't think i i if gms were were giving contracts based on pff i think the league would look very very different right right um i think you know like for example like derwin james is considered the best safety in the nfl and and there is a lot of co- comparisons between the game the position flex but derwin james has like this explosive um explosive element to his game that has characterized good safeties throughout the league for a long time so i just i know he's the highest graded player or second highest graded player pff in terms of safety i just don't think that that's how people value safeties like they here when in safety evaluation they value the length they value the ability to match up with the tight end and i don't know if that metric is kind of a league-wide metric in terms of evaluation and the position flex i don't know if that's a league-wide metric in terms of in terms of value so um that would be my one pushback on paying him is that like if you let him hit the open market does he get like a you know hey here's a four-year 35 million dollar deal and then you're like hey yeah we'll match that kind of like what they did with um with lamar in baltimore like they didn't have a precedent for the deal the template for the deal he hits the market or he doesn't hit the market but Jalen Hurts signs his contract. It's like, okay, that's the new standard. That's the new market. Here we go. Right. And I think like that is something I could see happening potentially here is that, you know, their value of him here is not reflected by the league. So when he goes out into the market, they get a nice number that they feel good about. They match it. They 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 plus it, whatever they want to do, and get him back.
2: Yeah, the problem with that is they like he Lamar was a restricted free agent. Correct. Right. So obviously if he goes out to the market and another team gives him a deal and they're like, all right, we'll match it. He could just sign the other deal. He can, but I I do think you
4: can, you can sweeten the pot. Like, you know, you've been in a, maybe you haven't, but like when I, you know, I was not a very good football player, but I'd get in these situations. Like when I was, when I signed in Atlanta, Detroit was also interested. So Detroit put a contract down on the table and said, we'd like you to come here. And when I went on my visit to Atlanta, Atlanta, they basically said, well, we want you more than that. So we'll give you this. And there was a little bit of a bidding war. And we're talking like five thousand dollars, you know what I mean? It wasn't like millions and millions of dollars, but that happens at a at a large Nick and
2: I hear from Radio Moneyland are like
4: five thousand dollars, that's incredible. Right. But you know, I'm saying it was like, you know, we go up, you know, here, we go up here, and then it was like eventually one of the parties was like, Well, we're not gonna go up anymore, take it or leave it. And I was like, I'll take it because this is way better than what they offered. So I, I think if if I'm his agent, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell the commanders I know how valuable he is to you this is the deal. Match it, plus it, whatever Cam wants out of it. And then let's make right. that happen. And I'm, I'm getting my client more money, basically
2: yeah totally and obviously we'll see if it gets to that or if sure. there's an extension you know i think they would like to get him done obviously they want to get him done at their number um but they can't right now because of the ownership situation so once that clears here in a couple of weeks um hopefully it's one of those where they show up at training camp they sit down over dinner after the first night of practice and get that done but sure. we'll see um but to, back to the original question like is there a chance he doesn't sign here yes if yeah. he wants top five safety money and they're like no um, that's one scenario. And then I think if Percy Butler, Derek Forrest, and you know, Quan. uh Quan Martin ball out and Jeremy Reeves proves that he's continuously getting better on defense, not just as a special team's ace, then their leverage goes up in that regard. It's like, hey man, like we'll pay you this, but we have good players. So sure. what do you what do you want? I still think they much prefer to just sign him though. So that would again, there's the scenario, but consider it unlikely.
4: No, I I agree. I, I yeah it just depends on where they're at and we have no idea about the contract right now or what he's asking or what he's thinking um so good job by his camp of keeping that pretty close to the vest but you know maybe they're miles apart in terms of value and possible uh, though that's when he would leave probably for sure
2: Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. The next voice you hear, our producer, Nick Verlansky, with our next mailbag question.
3: On Twitter, Strictly Speaking asked, with the rumor the Steelers are in on trading for Chase Young, what would the return need to be to not feel like we completely failed with him and gave up for almost nothing?
2: I love this question because it's such an interesting hypothetical. I don't know anything about the Steelers rumor. So we'll just to kind of ignore that part of the question, Logan, but like, what, what's the chase young trade that you say yes to right now? Cause there's philosophically, like, do you cut your losses? Do you, are you selling low? There's like a lot of kind of game theory, you know, stock asset management type of thought that goes into this. And then there's just like, what you think of the football player. And obviously we've now seen chase have a pretty good mini camp. So what's, is there a deal that you would say yes to at this point? And the last, uh, you know, kind of factor I'll throw into this is of course, he and Montez are both up at the end of the year. And uh, there's kind of a logistics of salary cap and getting people done and and how you build your roster to, that goes with all of this as well.
4: I mean, obviously there's a deal that I'm like, Oh yeah. Like if someone says, Oh, we'll give you a first round pick. I don't even think twice about it. Yes, boom. So
2: just straight up one, one for Chase Young, done.
4: Get out of here. Absolutely. So that's okay. that's one. And then if even if they gave me a second, I would think about it. But I think it's important for people to understand, like, he has not – like, just because he had one good minicamp practice, teams are not going to negate what he's done the last three years here. They're not going to be like, oh, wow, minicamp looked good. All right. Well, he has that crazy injury history. And he hasn't played good since his rookie, like really, really at a high level. And there's injury. There's a whole bunch of stuff affecting that. But he hasn't played really good since his rookie year. So to me, I'm like, if I'm a GM and I'm looking at Chase, the most I'm going to give is a third round pick. The most I would give is a third round pick because the risk associated associated with it. Right. And if I'm the commanders, I'm like, absolutely not. Because if Chase, a a motivated Chase is, is ready to go, he's going to play better than a third round pick. And if he plays really well and we can't resign him, we're going to get a third round comp. So it's like, why would I do anything unless it's a crazy price deal to get him out of here is my thought.
2: That is a hundred percent where I'm at is if you want to give me something that is worth what he would be worth. If he was good, we can talk. Right. And that has a lot to do with roster construction of like, okay, well that now I, now I know I'm, my focus is going to be on re-signing Montez Sweat. I don't have this like year long who am I signing whatever. It's like yeah. we're going to franchise Montez and then we're going to pay him a bunch of money next year assuming that he has another another very solid year. Um, I just I I know what Chase has been the last couple of years and he has been so frustrating in so many ways from his play to the OTAs or not showing up and you know some of his comments around some of that stuff whatever but his potential is just still so high and he's still so young that I just find it hard to give up on that. And I know some fans are ready to push him out the door. Others are like team chase forever and can't believe we're even having this discussion. But realistically, somewhere in the middle is this reality that his upside is extremely high. His current value is low. Selling low is bad. Buying low is good. And the commanders are the seller. So if I'm another team... I might like I, if I'm the Steelers, I might mess around with that second round pick. Maybe not if I'm the Steelers because I've already got, you know, I've already got Watt and you know whatever, but um if I'm another team and I think Chase can still be Chase like what we thought Chase would be coming out of Ohio State, like would I give up a second rounder for the guy who went second overall? Yeah, I probably would do that.
4: Yeah.
2: Um and that's why if I'm the Commanders, I'm like I don't know, like a second rounder is that enough for me? for the guy that I still think can be really good and can, by the way, this year in a must win year, if I'm Ron Rivera, and by the way, we always talk about it with Rivera, but like, if I'm Mayhew, like I'm not exactly looking to make trades that are making me worse this year. I want to yeah. like, he's on the, his job is on the line too. Maybe even more than Rivera's in some ways. Cause a lot of people think that I know what, there's a question about this later, but like a lot of people think Ron might be pushing to get into a GM, more of a GM role. Um, so there's just, like Chase Chase being great or even being really good makes this defense potentially great this year. Right. And so if I'm the commanders, I probably just hold on for the ride and think of it less in terms of asset management and think about it more of what makes my football team good right now and Chase Young being a productive football player is the best thing for my football team right now. So I'd probably just I probably just do that.
4: Absolutely. And and again, if something's if something crazy happens, like if someone's like I'll give you a first and a fifth, I'm like cool yeah let's make Done. that happen Make yeah. it right now don't yeah. even think twice about it but the, i don't yeah. i don't think whatever the steelers are considering offering for him is definitely not in that kind of area right it's like sure may, maybe a second maybe and that i would yeah. consider i would consider a second round pick it just depends on where i think chase is at uh mentally and i don't talk to chase you know like the way ron does obviously he's around the building chase is awesome guy to talk to but you know, like they have a better understanding of where he's at in terms of meetings and, and his mindset. Um sure. But, you know, you're always especially now, like you're gonna get a comp pick for him if he if he does walk, if he if he's good. And if he's good, that means you're doing really good. You've got a top five defense. You know? So right. is is the difference between that second and third round comp enough for me to outweigh the value that Chase of Chase's upside? Probably not. You know, probably not. No. So
2: um The last thing I'll add on this one is if they are not having a good year, middle of the year and someone wants to offer a second or even a third, that's going to be at the top of the third versus the bottom of the third. Um, Although I guess it'd probably be a winning team that's, that's going for it. So there wouldn't be too high, but point is like middle of the year. If you're not good, go ahead and sell. Like at that point, be smart about it. You do the asset management play um, because he's not going to help you long-term at that point. Um, But for right now with a full season ahead, like people just want to throw away this season. Like, no, you only get so many of these, like take, take the season, play it out. Um, try to be good and we'll see how, how that goes. All right, Nick, next one. Muhammad asks, what would
3: the outcome of the season have to be for Ron Rivera to be head coach next year? If we win due to offense, then the credit will go to EB. Will the head coach consideration and then leave Or if we win because of great defense, then the credit goes to JDR because of the great talent on the defense. It's a no-win situation for Ron Rivera.
4: I don't think it's a no-win situation for Ron. I agree. I think if you're winning, if you win games, like head coach gets credit, you know, like ultimately that's what it comes down to. If you're winning games, the head coach is going to get credit and it doesn't matter who, like you're right. Uh, Muhammad, was that the question? Uh, Yeah. If, if they, Mm -hmm. if the offense is good, EB has gone. Bye. Yeah, that's what he's trying to do. So,
2: hold on. I'm going to I'm going to put the brakes on that for a second. Eric Bieniemy's interviewed for how many head coaching jobs? Bro,
4: but I mean, I'm saying if he if he goes from Kansas City and there was all the held up and there was all this stuff saying, "Hey, like um hey, yo, you know, he's got Patrick Mahomes. He's got Travis Kelsey. He's behind Andy Reid and he comes here with this offense with the inexperience of this group with the offensive line and and they're like a top 12 offense in the NFL. You better believe someone is going to give him a head coaching job. You better believe that. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that happens. Like, this job, when you look at it on paper, amidst an ownership change, all this stuff, like, it, it he's going to get a head coaching job. Like, there's no way he doesn't.
2: Logan, I hear you. There's no way. And your logic, your logic is so sound. <laughs> but, Nick, I'm sorry. I'm going to cuss on this one. I'm, I'm going to pull a Logan here. He's been the offensive coordinator in four of the f- last five Super Bowls. I get it, like, man. But now, now all he of, should have had a head coaching job already. Sh- like that's the whole point. He should like, have. But- this dude has gotten screwed seven ways from Sunday on head coaching jobs before. So I'm not going to automatically say he's going to get one. But your
4: logic is so sound. But he's
2: been the offensive coordinator in four of the last five Super Bowls and he doesn't have a head coach But there are
4: all these like modifiers to it. He's like, you know, he's the he's the offensive coordinator, but Andy Reid calls plays. He's the offensive coordinator, but he's got the best quarterback in football. He's the offensive coordinator, but sure. he's and so there here there is no excuse. There's no excuse for or for another organization to be like he should be he shouldn't be the head coach here. And I if and if and if I'm If I'm listening to his press conferences, I'm following the season at all. And and I, some of these GMs I'm sure are some of these like, uh, Mm advisory committees, like he's going to be in the top of the, in the top group there. Cause what he's done here already in the short time, again, we got a long season ahead of us, but like, man, he, he deserves that opportunity. So, your point is well taken. He should have probably had one a while ago. But to me, he's been this guy the whole time. But what I'm saying is, there are all these kind of other things where, like, oh, you know, well, he's actually not calling plays. So how how valuable is that? Or you know, hey, you know, the interview wasn't great, so we're gonna go with this other guy. Now it's like my resume is impeachable. Like I go wherever I go, quarterback agnostic. He he is gonna take in this hypothetical scenario a fifth round quarterback. Now say what you want about that, Sam you know, slipped in the draft, whatever, 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 sure. a fifth round quarterback in his second year and become a top 12 offense. Get out of here, man. That's like, that is unbelievable, you know? And then like on a team that was not that get good last year. So I get it. I, if Okay. When I own, when I am owner of a team, he, I'm definitely hiring him, but we'll see what the league does. But I, th-
2: I would have hired him four years but ago. I think
4: he is out of here if they are a top 12 offense. Now he could be the head I, coach here, whatever that is. I don't know what that looks like, but sure, uh, and that's fine. If you're Ron, you love that because you got another year of your job. And if for Ron to keep his job for next year, I think they probably got to win a playoff game, which is very reasonable. If the offense and defense are cooking the way we think they could cook now, it could go the other way, whatever. But um, I think that's important.
2: So just to be clear, you 100% should be right. I am just not going to like bet my life on it, considering how much this dude has been screwed over in the 12 interviews he's had for head coaching jobs over the years, because he's been this charismatic guy with nothing but success the entire time. So yes, all the caveats are now gone and someone probably would be like, yeah, we, we should have done this. Someone who may be interviewing him for the third time. I don't know, but, but I'm not a hundred percent like I'm not ready to bet my life on Eric Bieniemy getting a head coaching job because precedent says that he's going to get passed over because mm-hmm. the league is stupid. Um, but you're probably right; he probably would, um, and that leaves a question for new ownership, which is: Do we move on from Rivera, graduate Ron to some senior front office role, and try to keep Bieniemy in house? Which I do think is possible and there's been there's been rumblings and you know, this is I'm not reporting this I am regurgitating other rumblings I've seen on the Internet um, of like that actually both Jason Wright and Ron Rivera are like angling for senior football front office operator positions like there's all these kinds of rumors out there and who knows what to believe and what not about who's going to be running this team moving forward because Josh Harris most likely would bring in some from the outside. And it's not even that, but I do think if Ron sells Harris on a vision and is like, I know the first four years or the first three years were not what we wanted, but we had a lot of bad luck and we should have done some things that we're doing now sooner, but like we're on the right path. Please do not mess this up that there is a possibility that he could become overseer of the, of that plan and allow the to take uh, that lead role. So I think that is possible where Ron, like there's a, there's a level of success where and let's call it like a nine to 10 win season where they make the playoffs, nine to 11 even where they make the playoffs and don't win one where Harris sees enough to see that something good is happening, but maybe the, the correct step is to, pull ron off the sidelines and there's a game or two where it's like hey man we have better timeout usage or not a silly challenge and like we're gonna we're gonna take you off the sidelines but you you seem to have the big picture thing down i think that could be a possibility they win a playoff game ron's gonna have his choice of what he wants to do moving forward um because remember he's also in the fourth of a fifth year contract yeah um but if they also if they do win because of the defense like i don't think it's just gonna go all to jdr the talent like at that point Ron also uh, is the guy who is kind of, you know, hey, I loved Emmanuel Forbes, and he had seven interceptions this year, and Quan Martin was huge, and, like, I loved him. Ron will get credit for that, and as he should. He's the head coach, um, even if he's delegating a lot. Like, he hired the people that he's delegating to, and he deserves credit for that.
4: Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think, yeah, I think if they if they win some games, like, what'd you say, 9 to 11? and a yeah. playoff game, playoff win. And especially
2: if they get better as the year goes. Yeah. Let's say they, they have a rough... A rough september and Hal throws a couple of picks in bad spots and they're they're close games but like he just doesn't have the experience to close it out yet and then they they get better as the year goes and it's like okay Hal found his groove second half of the year he's really solid like we need to keep this going yeah i think that could be you know a scenario where that happens as well Um, what i think is fascinating is like is there a scenario where they get they blow it up like just everybody gets blown out and i think obviously if they have a very bad year um, that's possible. And I also think it, it, it matters who Josh Harris hires to, cause like, I do think he will bring in some senior, senior VP of whatever. Um, and who's that person and what do they think of the the current staff? Like, that's another thing to consider.
4: No, I think that's a great point. No, a hundred percent. Like, I don't think we're, I think we're pretty aligned there. Um, yeah. It just like if they I, the question I just, was
2: I just uh, I don't underestimate the the uh, stupidity of the league.
4: Yeah, maybe. And I guess like to Muhammad's <laughs> point, like even if EB does well, like Ron gets that credit for making the hire when no one else wanted to hire him. So it's like there's a lot of credit here for Ron if things go well. Like head coaches always get credit, you know. Like and people say, oh, well, the reason they won was because of EB, but Ron was the guy that got them together. And I've been on teams like that yeah. where it's like, oh, it's. It's the genius of the offensive coordinator, or the defense is really carrying the team, but the head coach is kind of under the umbrella of managing the roster. So, um, I, I think I think he'll be. I think if they do well, Ron does well, and if they do yeah. well, Eb does well. If they do well, Jack does well. So everyone's pushing for a good season and a good outcome. I think
2: um, the other coach that needs to have a really good year potentially um, is Tavita Pritchard because if he like if EB does get that head coaching job, Tavita is the next in line to be the OC. Um, yeah. And if they want to keep this going in a long-term sustainability thing, making sure that he, like this is one of Ron's big projects this year, right? Like we, I I asked Ron a couple, two weeks ago, last week, yeah. whatever it was um, about like, hey, what do you do now? Like what what's the thing that now that you've delegated all these things, like wh- how do you decide where you spend your time? And he said he is, one of his high priorities is spending a lot of time with younger coaches and developing mm. them. And so, like one of the things that Ron actually really has to do this year is make sure that Tavita and some of this is on EB too, obviously. But like Ron is the overseer of the franchise uh, from the football perspective, he needs to make sure that Tavita is ready to be an OC in case they're awesome and EB yeah. leaves and gets a head coaching job because Tavita would be the next in line. So that, those are like that's something that we're never gonna know. Um, unless someone asks about it in the middle of the year. Um, And even at that point, Ron's probably going to deflect the question. But it it is a massively important thing for kind of the long term of the franchise. And especially considering how much time have we even spent on this podcast the last couple of years saying, hey, like they don't have the next guy. They don't. There's no one on the offensive staff specifically that is a future OC, a future head coach. And now they got probably two in the who should have been one already, uh, and obviously is the OC and Tavita is someone who I think fits that mold. And a lot of people think has an incredibly bright future ahead of him.
4: Yeah. And I think that's a sign of a healthy organization and a healthy coaching staff and a healthy head coach and coaching philosophy. Cause I mean, when you look at, you know, San Fran, you look at LA, they have lost copious amounts of coaches, but they just find a way to get young guys in, develop them, keep. Uh, good coaches at senior positions and just kind of restock and retool in-house and to me that's not an accident you've got an excellent hiring process and you've got an excellent like culture in the building and i think about all the guys that have left kyle's tree that have become really good coaches you know matt lafleur uh sean obviously mike mcdaniel and there's to me it's not by accident that you have that kyle's got this really high standard that matriculates down to those guys, and he hires guys that have the same kind of obsession with football. And so I think if Ron can kind of cultivate that here, and you've got a really good head coach here, or a good uh, offensive coordinator with EB, um, who kind of has that super high standard, and is going to challenge his staff, and and I think that's that's just going to be almost as important for Coach Pritchard. You know, like what is the standard here, and I'm setting it as EB. You have to match me or we're not on the same page. And I know they've worked together in the past and so they have that relationship, so they get it. But I think that would be awesome if they could not only develop the talent on the field, but develop the coaching staff in in house and make sure that you can handle, you know, like I think that's gonna be a big question for Philly this year. I know this is a little off topic, but they lose all these coaches. Do they just restock and retool because they've done a good job of, of bringing them along or do they struggle not having the coordinators in place? So that to me is gonna be another big step. You know, if I'm if I'm an owner coming in, talking to Ron and he's like, this is our plan to develop talent and the product on the field, but also make sure that that's a sustainable thing.
2: So let me ask you this sidebar. I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question real quick, and then <laughs> we'll get back to the ones that Nick has, uh, in, in the bag. So, so to speak, Belichick's coaching tree has been largely a disaster, <clears throat> um, when they've left, left, uh, New England and gone to other places. Bill O'Brien was pretty solid yep. at Penn state. Um, but. You know, in the NFL, so in Houston, he was not like, very he was, good. He was, he, was,
4: he was good in Houston for a couple of years too, right? Um, yeah, he had a, he had a couple of good before, years. He's, probably,
2: he's been the best one.
4: Before he became the personnel guy, you know, like when he was just the head coach sure. of football, he was good. And then as he got more responsibility on the personnel side, it became harder, I think, for him
2: but that's also the best that anyone has done. Like sure. Cornell Cornell has not been good. Um, he's been a great DC in other places outside of Belichick, but he's not a good head coach. Charlie Weiss was terrible as a head coach at Kansas and, and at Notre Dame. Um, nevertheless, I don't even know if he got back into the NFL. Yeah. Um, you know, McDaniel has struggled, uh, like Josh McDaniels has struggled, um, on down the list. Like, there's just been everyone struggling uh, to leave Belichick. Why is it that it hasn't worked for the Belichick guys, but someone like Kyle, it does. Yeah. Or so I think, Mike, you know, if you want to go back to Mike.
4: Yeah. Mike, I think is a good one. And I think Mike kind of is the genesis of that tree. Um, and even the head coach that was in Houston, I forget his name now. He's out of the league now, but also very similar. Uh, can't, can't remember the name. It's not important. Let's start with Mike. Mike, when you came in, when I came into the league, I didn't understand how important this was. He was a guy that was very forward thinking in terms of how to treat players He had a very high standard, but he was going to treat you like a professional. And he created an environment that was, I don't want to say fun, but it wasn't like it didn't give you tremendous anxiety coming into work. Right. And when I don't have tremendous anxiety, I, I play better, but also I'm going to invest a little bit more time. And then I think the guy that really innovated in this area was uh, Pete Carroll. So Pete Carroll came in and said, we are going to have fun. We're going to play games. We're going to be hyper competitive. We're going to let people be who they are. And it created this culture of like, I want to be in the building. I want to be around my teammates. I want to be around the film and I want to get better for them. And so when his coaching tree kind of dispersed and Kyle intersected with uh, Dan Quinn in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. Kyle, I remember when I talked to him in San Fran, he's like, I am going to do that. I want to make a hyper-competitive environment and people want to come to work. And that while keeping the football stuff, the P's and Q's that I think are important, makes sure the staff is really dialed in. And I think when I went to San Fran, people enjoyed playing there and the level of football was very high and the standard was very, very clear, but it was a fair standard. And when I hear guys who have played for people who have, you know, played for the disciples of Bill Belichick is they are very old school in terms of their philosophy and approach to, um, how to treat players. Like I remember hearing in the first meeting, them making guys stand up in the meeting and be like, Hey, what does it say above the cafeteria door? Like, I don't know, man. I got here like 12 hours ago. How the hell am I supposed to know that? And why do I want to waste mental stress and anxiety on things like that? And so they kind of took this old school, like Parcellian approach and saying, like, we are going to grind you to absolute dust and really kind of turn the screws to you in this hyper-stressful environment that isn't that enjoyable to play in. And so that works when you have Tom Brady. That works when you have Bill Belichick, right, because Tom Brady and them are forever linked at the hip in terms of their success in New England. But the second you lose that franchise quarterback and you're not winning games, you know what you get? You get a lot of really disgruntled football players who are going to talk a lot of about you. So to me, that's something that I think you, especially in today's NFL, where the recruiting environment in college, the recruiting environment in high school has changed so dramatically. Those guys are their own industry already. You know, like coming out of high school, guys have NAIL deals. Like there's money involved. I don't need the coach the same way I needed it before. I think Kyle understands that at a high level and his tree understands that at a high level. So they keep the football extremely quality and extremely high, but they also treat you in a respectful, professional manner that in a workplace that promotes fun and I think that that fun element and that enjoyment keeps people coming back unlike these other you know Belichick who's a more traditional coaching philosophy, it doesn't work the same way that it used to um quite frankly
2: yeah I also think Belichick has a little bit more of that magic touch um that you hear stories every once in a yeah. while um and I don't know that that stuff might even be kept secret to an extent from some of his other coaches and they leave and they don't realize it and uh then you see what happens um i think that obviously there's a generational thing that happens with like the kyle's and the sean's the kevin's etc
4: yeah as well um
2: and and i would say also the last guy that that deserves to be mentioned in all this is andy Reid. um and andy andy is a guy who's hilariously funny um definitely is invested in having fun um, but also is serious and, and, you know, when it needs to be. And so you look at his tree, the Doug Peterson's, and you listen to Peterson talk about coaching and kind of the humanity he brings to sure. it. Um, and, and I think that trickles down to whether it's EB, whether it's Peterson, whether it's some of the other guys that have come yeah, out of like that tree. Like Kafka
4: who's the OC and um, yeah. like all those guys, right. Are like, he, it's yeah, a yeah, very yeah. prolific tree because they get really high football understanding, but they also are not, like this used to be a very West coast kind of approach, right? Where players coach, players coach is the term that's thrown around a lot. And I I don't, I think that, that, that has a little bit of a misnomer to it, but I think that's what those guys are. They understand that while players are somewhat of a commodity, they're also people and I need to treat you as a person. And this is a high stress, high performance environment. And we all get that and we're all okay with that, but don't make it worse for me. Don't make me more stressed out, you know? And I think that's something that, um, I think that like Andy Reid, the Shanahans, everyone understands that.
2: Yeah. Uh, now I just, we were watching Ted Lasso last night and, uh, if you, I I don't know if you guys watch, but, uh, in one of the episodes, there's a, uh, press conference where Roy Kent of all people, uh, the character in the show talks about how the players are also people. And now I just have that replaying in my head. I would say we would insert a clip of that here, but i think that's probably going to be a copyright violation. So we'll just reference it and keep it moving.
0: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master new skill.
3: Final question from ranger teach the most realistic out from for the offensive line is what oh. that,
4: that, that, okay. So I'm just going to be very honest. This is the, I'm going to be honest. This is like a, you know, podcast of honesty of the things yep. from minicamp, I think I might've told you this, Greg, that I have the most uncertainty about the offensive line is heading that list. And it's not Sam how, which is, I think a lot of people are going to surprise a lot of people. It's the offensive line.
2: I don't know. I feel like the offensive line was pretty far up there for most people. But, but what I'm saying, but I think like, like
4: it's yeah. like I think there's there hasn't been a lot done in minicamp and OTAs that allows you to kind of answer questions. They've been passing a lot, which I think is good. You know, it, it eliminates like the um, you know the fine system, the heavy contacts, all that kind of stuff. Um, yep. And the 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 offensive line involvement in team periods has been way down compared to traditional stuff. So Mm -hmm. how does Sam Cosby fit at guard? He looks good. He moves good. He's uh, that's who he was coming out. But how does he handle playing guard? It's different. The timing's different. The sets are different. How does that look? Gates has been great. He's been super consistent, but he's learning a new offense, you know, and and that is challenging. And I think there are times where you see a little bit of, oh, who's this? Who's that? That's fine. Because that happens this year. Sadiq, Chris Paul, left guard is another one. That's a huge question for me. And then Wiley, I, I like Wiley. But I'm also, I have my reservations about him as a long-term answer there, right? Um, and again, we, there was nothing done during OTAs or minicamp that says, oh, you know, like, great. Like, look how good all these guys look. And I think that's something that, um, you know, again, it, it's just tough. And so in terms of ceiling, I think it's important to understand that I think Eric Biennemi is going to elevate this group tremendously. So like, even though the sum of the parts on paper um, might not look super high ceiling, I guess, I think they're going to be playing better than that and i think they're going to abide by kind of the statistical approach that's saying on, on the offensive line you don't need a five winners you just need the aggregate of the of the group to be average right you need a top 15 offensive line to run a successful offense which is not what we had here last year so can they get there i think with play calling i think with a, kind of that, a sprinkle of that magic sauce they get there but i i still have some reservations about the group just because we haven't seen anything so in terms of saying what are they going to be definitively i don't have a clear answer because we don't have a lot of information at the moment and it's something that i am a little a little nervous about um but hopefully those questions get answered as we get into training camp
2: yeah i'm whatever is notch bo- above a little nervous is about it um not like i'm not panicked um no, okay. and that's that's the enemy adjacent. Like I trust him to put them in good situations. My question is when the game requires more of them can they step up and i would say the answer's no so this is an offensive line that's gonna need to help itself again you said like when the game when the game requires more right when it's fourth quarter you're down 10 points and you need to drop back more than you'd like and this is also a question of how this is a question i mean no offense is like sweet yes We are in a
4: this suboptimal is exactly situation. What we wanted.
2: <laughs> I'm always going to get excited about it. Like, ah, I get to run around and make stuff happen. Cool. But, like, this is an offensive line that's going to have to help itself. They're going to have to be really solid in the run game and keep games close and, you know, be able to kind of be in their game plan. Um, you know, we talked with like Warren Sharp about this before the season last year, right? He does all of his projections, all of his work in the first half on first and second down. Why? Because that tells you what the game plan is. By the time you get into third downs, you're playing the sticks. By the time you get into the second half, you're playing the, the score, right? You're playing time and score, so it, it, it doesn't really tell him about who a team is when he's talking about making projections moving forward for the next year or for the next week or whatever. So in those situations, like it's basically like how long can you, can you stay in that safety zone? How long can you stay in what you want to be in, and that's going to be in part on the offensive line to execute in the first place and, you know, be able to move the chains on the ground, be able to execute the screen game, not give up sacks, not take penalties that put you behind uh, the chains. So it it's about doing the basics. Again, they don't have to be dominant. They don't have to move the line of scrimmage sure. like crazy. They don't have to, you know, make crazy blocks in space. Like just don't put yourself behind the eight ball or in a more literal sense behind the chains and they can be all right. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of weeks where that's the case. And then it's, you know, comes down to the end. Do they win or lose? Do they make the plays? Uh, can Howell make the throws? Can, you know, whoever make the catches, that's the NFL. Um, and there's realistically going to be some other weeks where it's not as good and, and they do that stuff and they're going to lose games. So I think that's probably the most likely, you know, that's the question, right? Most realistic outcome for the offensive line is that, Ten to eleven weeks on the season, they play pretty well. Six or seven weeks, they play kind of poorly, um and that's how they're going to win somewhere between nine and eleven games sure. in my you know, prognostication.
4: Yeah, and I, I also say like you know, as much as we want to be, I'm, I'm a little uncertain. Like it, it, it's very tightly correlated to a the play caller, which I think we're both very confident, in, and then b yes. the guy throwing the football. And when you look at the best offensive lines, it's not a coincidence that, you know, Peyton Manning has the best pass rated or pass protection rated offensive line over the course of his career or Tom Brady, right? Those guys understand protection. They understand that the the strain on that group and you got a young guy in there who has got to grow up in that area. So does that put a little more pressure on them or can Sam with that quick release kind of get the ball out? Those are questions that I think, again, could make that group look definitively better, you know, like look exceptional in some cases. And, um, because like as much as people want to say like running the ball like running the ball is is more complex for the offensive line but it actually is like a it's easier in a way you know like it's less stressful because like you're not if the scheme is good if your run scheme is good and the play caller understands to elevate run game um, through pick play calling it's you can create good movement off of kind of misdirection and, and do a whole bunch of different stuff. And you don't have to leverage those guys as much in that situation, thing with the past game. So I do think the EB thing is going to be big. Um, and it's just like, can they pass protect, you know, when they got to have it. Yeah. And there are a lot well, of groups in the league that can't do that anyway. So it's not like they would be, <laughs> you know, in a, in a, in a, especially yeah. like unique position there, but like those are, those are the reservations I have. Can they be an average group? Can they be average? And I think that's what we're both saying. And um and as much as like I like the pieces they've assembled, I like Wiley, I like Cosme, I like Gates. You know, I like Sadiq, I like Chris Paul, I like Leno. They got to come together and in this offense, be get a, get a bunch of Cs basically is what we're asking. And I think that yeah. that'll win you a bunch of games, which is which is maybe counterintuitive, but average O line play is what you're, is the standard. You know, an exceptional offensive line play, you know, like the Phillies, um, Kansas City last year. I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but when you look at San Francisco, for example, that group's not great across the board. Obviously, they have Trent Williams, but two guards are okay. The center's okay. McGlinchey was okay last year, but they're elevated by play calling. They're elevated by the quarterback getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And all of a sudden, that group looks like a top five group in the NFL. So, you know, like, I think we have the play caller in place. It's just about what does Sam do? And then does the group gel in a way that lets them be better than the sum of their parts?
2: Yeah. It's specifically for this offense too, because we anticipated being so RPO heavy. Yeah. Um, that's what EB likes. That's what Sam likes. Um, it's what Sam ran in college. The RPO isn't that effective with the actual like the run option no one believes it like cool you you fake the handoff um that look like an rpo style look you're down 14 and there's five minutes left you're not running it yeah. so like that time and score piece is also so essential because it keeps their entire playbook open and especially this year when they're going to be very rpo and play action based um, that believability that they could run the ball uh, at any time is, is critically important. And also um, all right, the, yeah, the other thing, ahead.
4: like just cause like, you know, and when you watch Kansas city and I'm not saying this offense is going to be Kansas city's offense, but the use of the screens and the quick game, the RPO, those quick throws again, alleviate a ton of pressure off the O-line and make it really challenging yeah. for the rusher. So it, they're they're even if they're not running like the Kyle Shanahan, like, you know, under center, hard run action everybody's stepping up to it even if they're not running that there are other ways that EB can can manage it so I do think that um and again when you watch Kansas City film like he does a good job there's chip help all the time there's there's motion reverse jet sweep action that holds rushers a little bit so there's a ton of stuff that he's familiar with which which judge again gives me confidence that it's going to be better but in terms of what we've seen from the OTA minicamp period just hasn't been a lot that's not anybody's fault that's just how they structured the the period so
2: Right. Um, we did, by the way, get a question from Neil. What's going on with Stromberg and Daniels? Lots of Quan informs intel, but radio silence on the other two. And it goes to that, um, what we just said. Like, we just don't have a lot of data on the offensive line at this point. So um, we will hopefully have a little bit more by the end of the week. We'll see what they do on Tuesday, um, with, it's specific to those guys too, right? Because yeah. I think some of the younger guys are going to get some more snaps in the practice on Tuesday. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the week. Uh, we'll kind of do some stock up, stock down, uh, take stock, if you will, after the spring. And uh, that's that's the plan for later in the week. Uh, Nick, thank you so much, sir, for your, your service, sure, your man. work uh your your excellent uh contributions to this here podcast uh logan i'll talk later in the week yes and uh until then wherever you are watching or listening right now please subscribe uh if you're watching on youtube like this so that other people know that they should also watch it that's how that works it's a whole algorithm thing uh and uh i'll see you on the radio in 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 a couple hours